Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the original Ocean's Eleven from 1960. The studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was August 10th, a good day, 1960, with the running time of 127 minutes, and of course, it was in color. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it two and a half out of four stars. His little synopsis is fanciful crime comedy about an 11-man team headed by Danny Ocean, played by Frank Sinatra. They are attempting to rob five Vegas casinos simultaneously. Entire rat packs in it, but no one does much, including some surprise guests. There is a clever twist ending, though, and of course it was remade in 2001. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 48% rotten from 31 reviews. Their critics' consensus is easygoing but lazy. Ocean's Eleven blithely coasts on the well-established rapport of the Rat Pack royalty. Now, I believe I saw the original Ocean's Eleven prior to the remakes, but only bits and pieces on television. It actually wasn't until the remakes and enjoying them so much that I went back and gave the original from 1960 a proper viewing. Okay, the main cast. Now, I could spend an entire episode just on the Rat Pack, so instead, I'll just give you the main filmography from each star prior to Ocean's Eleven. Uh, so, of course, Frank Sinatra, he plays Danny Ocean. His most popular films prior to Ocean's Eleven, Higher and Higher, Anchors Away, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, On the Town, From Here to Eternity, which he won Best Supporting Actor, Guys and Dolls, High Society, Pal Joey, and Some Came Running. Dean Martin plays Sam Harmon, and he was in a number of successful films with Jerry Lewis when they were a duo. He was also in The Young Lions, Some Came Running, and of course Rio Bravo with John Wayne and Ricky Nelson. Sammy Davis Jr. plays Josh Howard, and he was in Anna Lucasta and Porgy and Bess. Peter Lawford plays Jimmy Foster. He was in Easter Parade, Little Women, and Royal Wedding. Angie Dickinson plays Beatrice Ocean, and she was in Rio Bravo, of course, with Dean Martin. And she had an affair with Frank Sinatra for years. The supporting cast is terrific. Richard Conte, Cesar Romero, Joey Bishop, Akeem Tamiroff, Henry Silva, Norman Fell, and George Raft. The director, Louis Milestone. He was born in Russia. He moved to the U.S. when he was 18, just prior to World War I. After the war, he got into the film business, being a film editor and an assistant director. After a few short films and some smaller features, Milestone hit it big with two of his most well-known films, both winning him an Oscar for De- Best Director. One was Two Arabian Nights from 1927, and then 1930 for All Quiet on the Western Front. Other notable films Milestone directed, The Front Page from 1931, and Of Mice and Men from 1939. Now, in the 1940s, he directed a number of pro-ally World War II films, but after the war, he was blacklisted due to suspicions of being a communist sympathizer, which was not true. Instead of dealing with the Red Scare drama in the U.S., he left for Europe for most of the 1950s and made a few films. His return to the U.S. would also be his return to Hollywood with Ocean's Eleven. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So the original budget was $2.8 million, and the success of the film led to a partnership with Frank Sinatra and Jack Warner for future films. And even though it was Peter Lawford who discovered the novel based on Ocean's Eleven, it was Frank Sinatra's idea to make a film with the Rat Pack. But he didn't want it to be a recapitulation of their stage act, 
but an entirely new and fresh story. Sammy used to joke on stage with Sinatra saying, My good friend Frank, I play a garbage collector in the film. (laughs) Now, Frank Sinatra had a major hand in ending the racial segregation that was part of the Las Vegas show business at the time. Many of the casinos would not allow their black entertainers to stay in their hotels, even though they were performing in them and drawing large crowds. Sinatra pushed various casinos to change this policy the best way he could. If he and his buddies didn't perform there, the revenue would drop. Eventually, they got the message. This included Sammy Davis Jr. during the filming of Oceans, who was only allowed to stay at the quote-unquote colored hotels. Sinatra intervened and Sammy was allowed to stay in any hotel he wished during the filming. Now, Sinatra never played poker, funny enough. He was either shooting dice or played blackjack or baccarat, while Dean Martin and Angie Dickinson were the big-time poker players. Dean loved to entertain and would often be allowed to go behind the tables and deal the cards. Now, some critics panned the film before it was even released, as reports were coming out about a Rat Pack movie. However, critics are just that, critical. And the movie-going public, who paid real money to see the film, they made it a success. And it continued to have a shelf life once it became available on television years later. Many of the casino scenes were filmed very early in the morning, often starting at 2 a.m. until daybreak, because the principal actors were also performing their shows at Vegas at night. Okay, let's get into the film. So the movie opens with the credits going through the cast with the numbers 1 through 11 appearing. It would have been fun to foreshadow and assign each cast member a number, and actually it seems like a lost opportunity, but no big deal. The cast really is a who's who's of stars from this era. So while the movie itself should actually be much better than it is, the star power is the main draw to this film and it always has been. And even though the opening credits seem primitive today, the digital numbering was a major headache for the studio and had to be reshot six times because on the widescreen for theaters, the print didn't come through properly. So the film takes place during the Christmas season in Beverly Hills. We see Mushy O'Connor, played by Joey Bishop, walk into a men's salon and meeting up with Spiros Acebos, played by Akeem Tamiroff. Spiros is the idea and finance man behind many of the big-time heists in the past. He's frustrated he can't get a hold of Danny Ocean, Frank Sinatra. Spiros calls Danny, but gets Jimmy Foster, Peter Lawford. And he's getting a massage and says that Danny can't be reached. Now, all Danny is doing is making Spiros sweat while he waits for all the players to arrive. Now, originally, the mushy character played by Joey Bishop was going to be a mobster, just like Spiros. They decided later to simply make him one of the gang. And Sinatra always admired Akeem Tamiroff and was honored to work with him on this film. The gang that Danny is gathering for this job are mostly made up of guys who served together in the same military unit during World War II, the Army's 82nd Airborne. Danny and Jimmy first recruit Vince Massler, played by Buddy Lester, who's working as a bouncer at a nightclub where his wife works as a dancer. Now, he initially declines, but reconsiders after getting into a brawl with a few of the patrons after they made crude comments at his wife while she was performing. Now, there's a fun fact about the nightclub scene. Working at the bar was an actor named Al Silvani. If you're a fan of the first Rocky movie in 1976, he's the main cut guy with Burgess Meredith in Rocky's Corner. He's the one that actually cuts open Rocky's eye during the fight. Silvani was also Sinatra's longtime bodyguard. The next two guys are Roger Corneal, Henry Silva, and Tony Bergdahl, played by Richard Connie. This was Silva's first film with Sinatra, and the two became close friends in the years following. The story goes that Sinatra admired Silva's work in past films, and then one day saw him walking down the street, 
And he pulled up his car and told him that very thing and then got him hired to be in Ocean's Eleven, the power of Frank Sinatra. Tony was a whiz with electrical work during the war and was just released from prison. Roger meets with Tony after he is released and tells him about the upcoming heist with the gang from the 82nd. Now, Tony initially declines because he just wants to go straight after his release. However, Tony has been having chest issues and discovers he has cancer after a visit to the doctors. Tony decides he wants in and will use his share of the take to financially support his young son. Next, we see Josh Howard, Sammy Davis Jr. And it wouldn't be right if we didn't get a musical number from Sammy. It is all a state of mind Whether or not you find That place down there Or heaven But in the meantime E-O E-O-11 E-O-11 You're a tough guy to catch up with, Josh. Well, trash is where you find it. You gotta follow the fleet. What happened to the ball playing? No hit? No C, remember? You know, when I got out of the army, the only club that was open was down south. No spot in the outfield. Now, can you imagine how I would have made out a one-eyed third baseman in Mobile? I always level with you, didn't I, Josh? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm straight along with this operation, but I'm scared. I mean, it's no panic. It's just a little... Something gets me right up in here. That's the only way to be. Makes you careful. Look, Vince, the brave ones don't come home. You stay scared. Yeah, you were always one of those guys who didn't want any brave ones on patrol with you, weren't you? That's simple enough. In my book, bravery rhymed with stupid, and it still does. Yeah, you were some yellow belly. Imagine a damn fool army giving you the DSM. Now, look, don't think I wasn't scared the day I won that. And do me a favor, will you don't even mention it now because my knees start to shake all over again. Then how come this operation of dandies doesn't make you shake? It does. A million bucks apiece. I guess you figure the odds are right, huh? Vince, baby boy, the way I figure it is like this. The 11 of us cats against this one little city. <laughs> We're an overlay. Okay, little pal, I'm ready for the briefing. Then step into my office. Next, we see Sam Harmon. That's Dean Martin, who is in the hotel with Jimmy and Danny. And we also meet Danny's estranged wife, B, played by Angie Dickinson. As I mentioned, Martin and Dickinson worked together a year prior on Rio Bravo, and Dean Martin just loved working with her. Sammy was the one who recommended that Angie play the part of Frank's wife. I asked you a question. Why are you here? Well, I got scared. I'd get stoop-shouldered from all those ladies hanging around my neck. Same sweet-talking Sam. Danny still in bed? No, not exactly. He's not in the hospital, is he? Oh, no, no. Because some doctor called the place I work and said Danny was very sick. Frankly, that doctor was me. In fact, the message said he was dying. I want to make sure you'd come over. Dying was the touch that gave it away. Oh, you knew it was a gag? It's the sort of stunt Danny usually pulls when he wants to see me. Why'd you come over if you knew it was a gag? Well, it's Christmas. And I have a present for him, as simple as that. 
now. What's your excuse? I was wondering what it is. I come to the conclusion it must be love. Mother love. I'll consider mistress, plaything, toy for a night, but I refuse to be your mother. That's out. No, you got it all wrong. I'm the mother. I just don't like you and Danny busting up. Yeah. We're sort of eye to eye there. I'd like to straighten him out. No, Mother. He's the only one who can do that. What happened to your marriage, B? A drown in champagne. I knew you were both up on cloud nine, but I didn't think it got boring up there. Boring? No. I just woke up one morning and realized there was nothing underneath us but thin air. So I got off at the next mountain, walked down and got a job. Danny didn't like that very well. And a little later, I left him. How do you feel about that? Oh, he... He wants me back, but not enough to give me what I want. Such as? I want a life that doesn't depend on the color of a card or the length of a horse's nose. Danny ran into a little bad luck, huh? If only he had. A little bad luck might have made him realize what things can mean when you earn them. We didn't have a home, Sam. We had a floating crap game. That's no life. It's a way of running away from it. Well, uh, I better be going. Danny will be here any minute. I have a job to get back to. I don't really want to see him anyway, Sam. As B leaves, she runs into Danny, and they have a heart-to-heart talk about what Danny has planned for his wife. Now, just sit there and don't interrupt me. I've got a very big deal going on. Large chips, carloads of them. That sounds familiar. That might be so, but this time it's true. Oh, good. I like to have rich friends. This is one rich friend who wants to spend a bundle on you. Gee, thanks. Okay, that's settled. On the morning of January the 2nd, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to hop down to Rio, so you pack a bag. You're serious. I honestly think you're serious. Of course I'm serious. A week's trip to Rio. Yes. (laughs) Oh, Danny, what a prize you are. The only husband in the world who'd proposition his own wife. Well, I married you once and it didn't work out too well, so what's wrong with a little hey-hey? Nothing. Nothing at all. I'd never knock it as long as there was a little love involved. You mean there isn't? On your part, not much. There's only one thing you love, Danny. That's danger. Cliffhanging. You could never love a woman like you love danger. And as long as your luck holds out, you'll stay in love with danger. As long as it keeps coming up heads. Let's say you're right. Let's say you're absolutely right. But remember, I did not invent myself. What's that supposed to mean? That means I do not own the patent. And I can't change it any more than you can change yours. And anyone who says he can is a liar. I didn't expect you to be perfect just because I fell in love with you. Going down. Just a second. And it wouldn't have hurt you to give me the same break. I don't expect you to be perfect. I want you to be my husband. Where they serve the drinks. To the bar. Now, Frank Sinatra was notorious for hating to do multiple takes of scenes. And this was one of those first takes, according to Angie Dickinson. 
So while Danny goes to the bar, we go back to Sam and Jimmy in their room. Don't stop, I'm just calling mother. Sure, I love the dear money that shines in her hair And the brow that's all furrowed and wrinkled with care I kiss the dear fingers that hold all that dough God bless her and keep her Tell your mother hello Hello Miss Ross, this is residence Is mother there? Oh yes, Mr. Foster Oh, it's my Jimmy, my innocent Another innocent touch. Jimmy, where have you been? Oh, here and there. Oh, it was wicked of you not at least to have telephoned. We've been home three whole days. What do you mean, we? We? We means your poor lonely mother, Mr. Santos. I wrote you about him, I think. He's been very kind to me, and he is a financial genius. Just what I always hoped you'd be. Yes, mother. Speaking of finances, could you let me have some more? Some more what? Money, M-O-N-Y. E-E. M-O-N-E-Y. Oh, yes, of course, darling. If you tell me what you want it for. <laughs> I plan to paper the walls with it. Oh, dear. Every time I try to take an interest in your affairs, you snap my head off. Oh, Mother, how do I know what I'm going to spend it on? It just goes, you know what I mean? Oh, you mean spending money. Well, why didn't you say so? I was afraid you might be considering some foolish investment. No, Mother, nothing foolish. Well, all right, darling. Hurry over and bring me a big kiss. I want to see my big, tall boy. <laughs> yes, yes, Mother. I'll be there around five. What a way to make a living. All right, Sam, let's have a quick briefing on Hawaii. Hawaii? Oh, great sunsets. One of the great things about Dean Martin that I felt he never got credit acting-wise was when he wasn't the main focus of a scene. Next time you see a movie with him in it, watch his reactions while the other actors are the main focus. Martin is always terrific, and then in this last scene, his facial expressions while Peter Lawford is on the phone are just priceless. So the man that Jimmy's mother is with is ex-mobster Duke Santos, played by Cesar Romero. Most of you will remember him as the Joker in the Batman series of 1966. Now after five husbands, it looks like Duke may be the sixth. Jimmy, unlike everyone else in the gang, doesn't even need the money from the job because he's basically a trust fund kid. However, he wants his independence and likes the camaraderie with the guys. Danny rides back from the bar and sees Sam for the first time in a while and they have some fun with Spyros, driving him crazy as usual. I think the only reason why I got into this cape is so I could see you again. Sounds like a hell of a price and I agree with you. I'm worth it. You're just in time for the jokes. For you, Mr. Sibbers, very important. Hello. This is the Los Angeles County Morgue. Los Angeles County Morgue? Yes. We have a couple of men down here. One is well-muscled and the other one is rather slender-built. Oh, my goodness, my... These two young fellas were traveling mighty fast in an automobile. Looked like they were trying to keep an engagement somewhere. Uh, the names are, uh... Never mind, never mind their names, I know. <laughs> I knew them. Would you be willing to identify them? I'm willing, I'll... I'll come down. I'll be right there. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And uh, what is your name, please? <clears throat> well, just ask for uh, Detective Lieutenant Brannigan. Detective Lieutenant Brannigan. I... 
How did he get my name? So while Danny makes Spyro sweat, he has his own sweating to do with his mistress Adele, played by Patrice Winemore. And what are you doing back with your wife? I know she was here in this hotel with you not more than an hour ago. You're two-timing me. And I'm warning you, Danny Ocean, I'm one girl you can't treat this way. I won't be pushed around and neglected. What exactly you plan to do about it? Plenty. I'm going to do just plenty. Don't you think it's about time you got started? Now, wait a minute, Big Buster. Now, you wait a minute and listen to me very carefully, my dear. I picked you up at the Biltmore Bar because I thought you were attractive and I had nothing better to do. And I made a pass at you for the very same reasons. Now, I don't know what your reasons were, but nobody twisted your arm, made you any promises. So what is this act? Not outrage virtue. You really are a rat. Why don't you let it go, Adele? I know all about the guys you've had on a string. You told me about them, remember? Why are you treating me this way? I didn't do anything. Neither did I. So why don't we just say goodbye nicely? Oh, surely. And maybe I should say thank you for being humiliated. Well, put this in your pipe. One of these days, I'll break your back. I swear it. It's a good thing for you she doesn't pack a knife. How do you know she doesn't? Now, the ashtray thrown by Patrice Wymore was all improv, and the surprise look from the guys was actually genuine. Jimmy heads to his mother's house and meets with Duke Santos for the first time. Jimmy isn't impressed by Duke and having yet another stepfather. The two end up having a drink together after some peer pressure from Jimmy, and Duke's eyes were a little bit bigger than his stomach, and he gets sick to Jimmy's delight. Jimmy gets cash from his mother and heads back to meet with the full gang at Spyro's house. At this point, additions to the gang now include Curly Steffens, played by Richard Benedict, Peter Reimer, played by Norman Fell, and Louis Jackson, played by Clem Harvey. So where is this Jackson? <laughs> We're some sort of organization. Don't panic, will you? You know, it's a good idea. Take a couple of hundred big ones and do something for world peace, like buying out the Miss Universe contest. Get rid of all the parades and all that jazz. And just sit around and talk to the girls one by one. Find out how things are in Sweden. Or invite them for a weekend to New Orleans. Ramus Gin Fizzes, Oyster Rockefeller. Nah, I don't like that goodwill approach. Use your loot right. You can order them to New Orleans for the weekend. You like to explain that, Professor? It looks simple. By turning money into power. I think I'll buy me some votes and go into politics. Hey, now that's a good idea, baby boy. <laughs> You'd make a good notary public. You'd make a better coroner. One of them <laughs> laughing coroners. Mr. Sabres, who's asking? He is. Huh? You know? Oh, Jackson, Louis, my boy. What's wrong, officer? Louis, you did something? Oh, no, sir. He didn't do anything. We just wanted to be sure he got to the right place. That's the Beverly Hills police for you. The best in America. They pr protect us night and day. Thank you, officer. Thank you. Good night. You're, you're crippled. Oh, no, sir. No, well, that's the way we found him. Oh. Good night. Good night. Oh, Louis, my boy, come in. I couldn't be in there. 
couldn't be an error, could I? Your name couldn't be otherwise than Jackson. Nope, I reckon that's my name, partner. Mm -hmm. Don't please tell me why you had to come in such a pitiable condition. Don't. Suits me, Mr. Ace Boss. Hello, Danny. Hello, cowboy. Hello. What took you so long? You coming on horseback? Hot damn, what a foxhole. How do you all? <laughs> Hello, John. Hey, 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 Hello, hey, hey, Good, great. So what's for you to be funny, Ocean? You should be ashamed of yourself enticing a broken arm man into a project of such precision. You know what your problem is? You underestimate people. Louis, grab it. <laughs> what? What? What's that with a broken arm? Why, well, shucks, Mr. Seedbus, it's all healed now. <laughs> <laughs> you knew this, you Dracula. You want to worry me into an early grave. This is where Danny and Jimmy lay out the plan. The gang is to hit five major casinos on the Strip of Las Vegas. The Flamingo, the Sands, Desert Inn, Riviera, and the Sahara on New Year's Eve. None of the guys except Tony has a criminal record, which makes infiltrating the casinos a bit easier. Five of the guys will take jobs at one of the five casinos. Roger at the Flamingo, Vince at the Sands, Peter at Desert Inn, Curly at Riviera, and Mushy at the Sahara. The reason why New Year's Eve is the desired date is that at the stroke of midnight, everyone goes crazy, as the majority of the patrons are good and drunk, so a well-timed heist during the confusion of the moment will be easier to pull off. Also, to do this, they will need a power blackout. This is where you need a master electrician like Tony. He'll come in to shut down the main power switch boxes of each casino. Josh will handle the major power outage, which is the initial subterfuge part of the plan. The outage will last 15 minutes. Now everything must go perfectly with military precise execution, which is why their war background comes into play. However, of the group, Sam is the most skeptical about this plan getting pulled off without getting caught, as they are all 15 years older and no longer perform in their prime like they did in the war. But with all of his skepticism, Sam won't bail on the group. They all arrive in Vegas a day later to scout each location they plan to hit. The guys have a new type of infrared formula that can only be seen if you have special glasses on and a flashlight. This will be used as markers to find the correct doors during the job. In the midst of all this, there's a funny scene where the famous comedian Red Skelton gets thrown out of the sands while Danny looks on. Sorry. Yeah. Hiya. Oh, hello, Mr. Skelton. Oh, you remember me, huh? <laughs> I remember what you told me, too. What I told you? Oh, about putting a limit on myself? Well, you didn't take that seriously, did you? You said you'd break me like a dried twig if I cashed another one of your checks. Oh, well, don't pay any attention to that kind of talk. I This is all solid flab, you know. I actually haven't got the strength to pull the wings off of a dead bee. Here, cash the check. No use arguing, Mr. Skelton. We won't let you exceed your limit. Well, this is unbelievable. Get a load of this guy. The way he actually think we're going to stick up the joint. We wouldn't do that, would we? No, it's ridiculous. Cash the check. Please, Mr. Skelton, this gentleman is waiting. Like a tree, buddy boy. I'm standing right here like a leafy elm until you cash that perfectly good check. You ought to be a little more careful. You know, I may hit a lucky streak and win this casino. It could happen, you know. The whole joint could be mine. Then what little cashier's little old nose would be out of joint? Well, what's up? Hey, pal. Oh, no guts, huh? That's in for White Earp. No, little fat brother. It's okay. That's the arm. That's my the slot machine arm. Everyone has a key role in the group, but Josh will be driving a garbage truck, which will have all of the cash in it. 
And a fun fact, the crew actually had to put wood blocks on the pedals of the garbage truck as Sammy Davis Jr. was too short to reach the pedal of the actual garbage truck. Tony will investigate each fuse box of the casinos during the scouting of each location. He will need almost two hours before the job to rig all of the fuse boxes. At the Sahara, we get Sam performing Ain't That a Kick in the Head. She's picked out a king size bed. I couldn't feel any better, or I'd be sick. Tell me quick. Oh, ain't love a kick. Tell me quick. Ain't love a kick in the You look like you're getting a combat fatigue, girls. You've been up on that line a long time. The room that Dean Martin was performing in was the same room that Don Rickles got his start in and built his career on. The lounge room system was used in the early years in the Vegas casinos for either up-and-coming acts or the performers who no longer were top draws in the main rooms. Unfortunately, many of the bruised egos of the once popular performers would cause a stink about being demoted to a smaller room, even though they were still receiving the same salary from the original contract. And then once the corporation started to buy up the casinos on the Strip, they started to phase out these lounge rooms, and by the mid-1970s, they were just a thing of the past. Back to the film, to complicate things a bit, Danny runs into Adele at one of the casinos, who is still pissed at him. And Adele also saw Jimmy. And this ends up being a bit sticky since Adele is also attending a New Year's Eve party with Jimmy's mother and Duke at the Flamingo. Jimmy's mother thinks he has probably just met a woman at Squaw Valley that ended up in Vegas and doesn't think much of it, while Adele is much more suspicious. The Adele character was much more prevalent in the original novel compared to her role in the film, though she does connect the progression of the plot in the film pretty nicely. That night at the Sahara, before Tony can rig their fuse box, and after Sam performs his number, he has to deal with a very drunk woman in the parking lot from a great cameo from Shirley MacLaine, who is blocking the door to the fuse room. MacLaine was also filming the apartment at the time and did the film as a favor to Frank Sinatra, who offered her a quick part in Oceans. It's also a bit of a nod to Dean Martin, who would often do a perfect drunk routine. Get her out of here. Here you are, Missy. Happy New Year to you. It so happens that I do not know who you are, my good fellow. Oh, well, now, who do I have to be to wish you a Happy New Year? <laughs> Ricky Nelson. <laughs> I used to be Ricky Nelson. I, I'm Perry Como now. Come on. Uh, no, you're not. You move. Smart girl, smart girl. Now, about this night air, let's get in out of it. Come on, come on. Is it New Year's yet? Too close for comfort. Come on. No, I hate it, too. I hate holidays. You like holiday? Hey, give me a little kiss. How about it, huh? Sound idea. It's constructive. <laughs> you yeah. wait right there, and I'll be there in a minute. Yeah, I'll wait for you.
<laughs> you know something? I think I kiss better when I'm drunk than I do when I'm sober. Some other time. <laughs> Where are you going? Oh, after all that we've met to each other, I must leave you. Hey, now, this is a dirty deal. Our first quarrel. I don't fit into your picture, huh? From here on in, you don't, sweetheart. Good night. Good night. It's okay, man. It's okay. It so happens I'm very much in demand. You also get a cameo of Danny Thomas performing the New Year's Eve countdown on stage. At the stroke of midnight, one of the major power conductors is knocked out and the strip goes dark. None of the patrons seem to mind being in the dark. The doors open where the cash for each casino is being held, and it's unlocked simultaneously, and each quote-unquote employee from the gang starts to fill up their bags with money. Each guy is able to walk in the dark because the infrared lights with the footprint patterns guide them out of the casino. Each of the five men put their bags of cash in the trash for Josh to pick up. sheriff's office and the state police have assured us we're going to have a rundown and capture by morning thank you very much sir and there you have it millions of dollars are missing stolen by an unknown number of men but at this very minute they are being tracked down as they skulk through the night down dark roads and lonely alleys where the long arm of the law is reaching out Happy New Year, officer. Yeah, Happy New Year. Say, uh... What's going on? What's all the excitement? Will you get this garbage truck on out of here? Ooh, I'll be glad to do that, then. Happy New Year! Ha-ha! <laughs> E-O-11. E-O-11. Unfortunately, in the middle of the heist, Tony started to have the onset of a heart attack, but still manages to steal the money. However, as he's crossing the strip, Danny and Jimmy notice Tony wavering, and he ends up having a full-blown heart attack and dies in the middle of the road. Another great cameo in the film is George Raff, who plays the head of one of the casinos, who calls a meeting with each of the casino owners to get their money back. In the remakes, Andy Garcia essentially had the George Raff role, but in the remakes, he also had a much more expanded part in that story. The casino owners are paid a visit by Duke Santos, who says he can get their money back, but in turn, he gets a third of the cut that is returned. This is a great deal for them because their insurance won't even cover 20% of their losses. Now, Duke does some investigating with the cooperation of the police, and it comes out about Tony's death and a little bit of throwaway information about Tony that he served in the 82nd Airborne. This rings a bell with Duke as he remembered that his soon-to-be son-in-law also served in the 82nd and just happened to be in Vegas with the other former members of the unit when the heist hit. The pieces are starting to fall in place for Duke. Duke then decides to pay a visit to Danny and Sam. Hello, Danny. Hey, nice rooms they got here. 
don't think I know your friend. You don't know me either. Sure I do. I'm a pal of Jimmy Foster's. I know some of your other buddies, too. Like, uh, Tony Bergdorf. Poor Tony died, you know. It's too bad. His wife's coming over to claim his body. Yeah, Tony's going home in a pine box. It's a beautiful job you boys pulled. A real work of art. You a cop? Me? Duke Santos a cop? <laughs> I only wish I was in on it with you. How I envy you your youth. You're not gonna get any younger hanging around here. What do you want? If you guys had been pros, I'd have put you out of business. But new talent needs encouraging. I want half. Half of what? You tell me, you got the money. You're talking on a dead phone, Charlie. Well, suit yourself. There's a live one at the sheriff's office. So you are a cop? No. I made a deal with the casino owners to get their money back for them. And now you're ready to double-cross them? Well, they're only going to pay me 30%. You're going to give me 50. Playing both ends from the middle. Sure, I can't lose. Now, you've already lost. The money's sent out of town. Long gone. If you're here, the money's here. We couldn't make a deal with you. We wanted to. Too many people involved. So talk to them. That's going to take a little time. I'll give you till tomorrow. I know you won't try anything cute. 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. One o'clock tomorrow, here. Bye-bye. Hold it. What's your relationship to Jimmy Foster? I'm gonna marry his mama. All right. So what happens next? Will the gang go along with Duke's proposal? I will say, if you haven't seen the movie and have only seen the remakes, the original ending is completely different. It's also very unexpected, so I say check it out. I think the reason why the remakes hold up better than the original is the actual planning and execution of the heist is far more detailed and exciting compared to the original. The original, again, relies more on the star power, and the first half of the film where we are introduced to all the stars should have been a bit tighter. However, it's part of the era where audiences were kind of okay with seeing musical numbers from their favorite performers. So yes, I do enjoy the remakes much more, but again, as a sense of history and without the original, this, of course, the remakes would have never been made. So this definitely has an important place in, in film history. KLAS-TV reporting in the wake of the heist was a real Las Vegas media station. Not long after this movie was released, the Vegas millionaire resident Howard Hughes bought it so he can control what movies aired on late-night television. George Raff, who of course makes a cameo appearance as a casino owner, actually helped New York mobster Bugsy Siegel finance and promote the Flamingo Hotel. Steve McQueen actually turned down a role on the advice of his friend Hedda Hopper, who told him to be his own man rather than Frank Sinatra's flunky. Now, Peter Lawford's line about buying votes and going into politics is a reference to his involvement in the 1960 presidential campaign of his brother-in-law, John F. Kennedy. According to Billy Wilder in the interview book, Conversations with Wilder, he helped worked on a script as a favor to Frank Sinatra. 
And as a thank you, Sinatra gave Wilder a sketch by Pablo Picasso. One of the most difficult tasks facing the film's production team was actually convincing Nevada's Clark County officials to let them use one of their garbage trucks that Sammy Davis Jr. drove. Tony Curtis, Jackie Gleason, and Milton Berle were all offered cameo roles, but of course did not appear in the film. And before I leave you, I will play a quick little clip from 1977 of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where he's interviewing Frank Sinatra and Angie Dickinson about the original Ocean's Eleven. We missed you at the Variety yeah, show this year. Uh, they, um, last year, Frank uh, was a master of ceremonies for John Wayne's tribute. So last what night... a big fella. Yeah, the doll. Uh, but um, Cheryl Ladd told me last night that she got Charlie's Angels off having shown her pilot that we did with her on Policewoman for, um, for that. So that was last year's. Yeah. But it's a long grind. Yeah. Remember when we made the picture together? That's a long time ago. Oh, yeah, I know. We made a film together called uh, Ocean's Eleven, which she did in Las Vegas. And uh, that's when you were on the other side of the law. The other outside <laughs> I, the law. I was married to you. <laughs> that was that's... a fun movie to make, you know that? Yes. You know Who that... was I? I was Beatrice, I uh, think. Yeah, I, you know, I don't remember your name, but, but uh, we were married. In the picture, we were married. Right? <laughs> You never saw much of each other in the, in, the, in the roles itself. You ran out on me. I Absolutely. don't remember. Well, I've been known to do things like that, you know. <laughs> but, you know, after that picture was out for, for several months, even today, once in a while, I'll run into someone somewhere, and they will say to me, couldn't you guys have kept $5,000 out of that instead of burning it all in the, in the oh. casket? I said, you can't do that. Look, it is one to... of the great endings of any picture. I went to uh, Italy shortly after that, about a year later, and it was called Col- Colpo Grosso yeah. over there. And they'd point to me, and they wouldn't say, Angie, this is Colpo Grosso. Yeah. And uh, although I was in it so very little because it was all of the men doing the, the uh, robbery. But what fun. The m- most fun for me aside from being your wife in a film, was that in the daytime we would shoot, and at night... Yeah, we were working at the, at the Sands Martin, Hotel, the yeah, four of us on stage, two shows a night, and, it, and shooting all day long. Yeah, they were... I, did you sleep at all? When we were standing up from time to time, we got a few naps, you know. But it was so We much. had a festival every evening, too, with the, with, the, with the wine and all that stuff was floating around the place. It was great fun. It was a, it was a marvelous film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, uh, one of the interesting things about the ending that you mentioned was that Millie Milestone, Louis Milestone, who directed that film for us, uh, came up with the idea for the ending. He, Be- yes, because he went to, uh, uh, I'm not trying to be morbid, but for a minute, let me just say that he went to the funeral of Bora Minovich. And in the temple, they have a, the, the crematorium was tied in with the temple. And, uh, in, and uh, consequently, in our picture, when, when the boys began looking at each other, wondering what the noise was in the background, it was the, uh, the incinerator, actually, is what it was. And I said to him, what do you, how do you figure that? He said, well, I saw that happen once. And we were shocked because we said, well, uh, while the rabbi was, was doing the, uh, all the prayers, you know, they could hear this noise. Consequently, we put it in the picture, which was a marvelous switch. But the, we, we, we buried the money in the casket with, the, with the other cat, with Nicky Conti. And you know, God bless him. Yeah. And the looks, though, from one to the other, down the line, all of you realizing what was happening is just wonderful. And then we came back up the aisle the other way. <laughs> I funny forgot came that. The funny, everybody said, they're burning the casket. Oh. Uh, it was fun making that Oh, picture. it sure was. It was a great time. Well, maybe one day you and I can be cops in a movie. Yeah. Mm. Where did you keep your badge when you did Cherry Street? 
Or your gun, I mean. My gun? And your Fargo. That's always my problem. Uh, excuse me one minute. We'll be right back. I want to discuss this one. All right, so... Uh, again, I do believe that the remakes are better than the original, but I think if you have a sense of history, it's definitely worth seeing this, and you'll have fun seeing all of those original Rat Pack artists. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.